for John 13. Come to depart out of, the, out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who are in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands, and that he had come from God, come, had come from God, and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he began. Then he poured water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, and wiped them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord. Do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to, said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who, would betray, who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. But if then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you ought to wash another, one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know, know who I, I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted up his heel against me. I am telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. Whoever receives me, receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. What's going to, um, what's going to change the world? How is this world going to be transformed? I guess when we come to this part of the Bible, uh, Peter and the disciples, uh, they thought that Jesus' increasing popularity, uh, they thought he'd be made king, and uh, then with his power he'd boot out the Romans, and he'd sort out the Pharisees and the scribes and all of those. And I guess that was their expectation, how the world was going to be changed, wasn't it? And this passage reveals to us that's not the way is going to happen. It's not the way God works. Steve Jobs, who was the uh, founder of 
uh, Apple computers. In 1983, when uh, Apple computers were just a very tiny company, uh, he was looking for someone to be the CEO of the company. And uh, he decided that a guy called John Scully was the ideal person. Now, John Scully was running Pepsi-Cola. So there's this huge company selling, you know, billions in uh, sales. And uh, uh, there's this tiny little Apple computer, you know, grown out of a garage. And uh, so Steve Jobs is speaking to this guy and he comes up with this question. And he says, look, he says, what do you want to do? He said, do you want to spend the rest of your life selling sugared water or do you want to change the world? And John Scully packed in his job with PepsiCola and went to work for Apple Computers. Now, Apple Computers are not going to change the world. In fact, uh, it probably won't be that long before people have forgotten about Apple Computers and something else will have come along. But Jesus invites his followers to come and change the world with him. And it's not the world's way of change. It's not Donald Trump's way of change. It doesn't involve seizing power. It's not the way the LBGT community have done it. It's not out manipulating everyone else. It involves serving and going low. It involves following Jesus. It's countercultural. It's radically different to all this this world stands for and promotes, and it's powerful, and it lasts forever. And you know, the stakes, I'm just looking if this works. Does this work? Oh, we have to turn it on. That helps. The stakes have never been higher. The opportunities have never been as big as they are now, have, are they? And the time has never been better for sharing the gospel. Do you know there are more people living on planet Earth today than have ever died? Isn't that an incredible number? Yeah, if you take all the people that have died over all the whole of history and add them all up, there's more people alive today than that whole amount. And uh, the United Nations have recently predicted that by 2040, 55% of Europe's population will be Muslim. Isn't that incredible statistic? And the only thing that can really change this world is the gospel of Jesus, isn't it? There's nothing else. And communication and travel have never been easier. You know, we have access to the whole of the world. We could be anywhere tomorrow, really, couldn't we? The, 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 the opportunity is huge. And, and so understanding how God's plan for how we change the world, it's really important, isn't it? Uh, I hope you get that. And uh, so we're going to look at this passage, three things, three truths to learn from it. And uh, the first one is this. Uh, Three amazing truths. God is in control and he doesn't make mistakes. And this passage makes it abundantly clear that Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him. In fact, 
Four times we're told that Jesus knew all about Judas. Verse 3, verse 11, verse 18, and verse 21. Just look at verse 11, just for a moment. But look at all those other verses if you want to. And this is what it says. For he knew, that's Jesus, who was going to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. And then look at chapter 6 of John's Gospel, verse 64. So this is right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And this is what it says. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And do you see what that's saying to us? Judas was not a mistake. This is not 11 out of 12 turned out okay. You know, Jesus took 12 people on and 11 made it and one somehow fell off the wagon. This is not 99 sheep made it out of 100. Jesus 100% keeps those who are his. Do you see that? incredible isn't it this God doesn't make mistakes he's in control once saved always saved once you are his he keeps you there are no mistakes look at verse 1 what it says it says hit this doesn't it having loved his own who were in the world he loved them to the end yeah? those he had he kept He's going to keep loving you to the, the very end. And he's going to keep on loving you all the way through. Look at verse 3. It says this, doesn't it? Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he'd come from God and was going back to God. Isn't that an incredible verse? Jesus, all things in his hands. He's come from God. He's going to back to God. He is God. Jesus has everything in his hands. He's totally in control. Do you get that? And so I think there's a couple of applications. And the first one is this. If you've come to Christ, then he's never going to let you go. You may mess up. I should say you will. Because I I mess up. How we mess up and we turn our back at times on Jesus, just as Peter did. Within just a few hours of this meal that they're spending together, Peter is going to be swearing that he doesn't know Jesus. Do you see how important these truths, that God is in control, he doesn't make mistakes, do you see how important these truths are for Peter? And for us. He's the shepherd who's never lost a sheep. Isn't that great? If you're his, yeah, he's not going to let you go. And even if you've messed up, you're still his. Even if we turn our back on him, you're still his. Isn't that great? Encouraging? I think we should be saying amen. Um, And then secondly... God doesn't make mistakes. Judas was not a mistake. Judas didn't fail the discipleship course. And we need to trust in this truth. Christian believer, God is in control. And do you remember when 
Jesus met with Peter on the beach. We're going to be looking at that tomorrow or tonight or forget when. Um, and uh, yeah, this is after the cross. Peter's messed up. He's he's stopped following Jesus, and and they meet on the beach. And Jesus meets with him and he tells him all that's going to happen to him in the future. Do you see God's in control? God's got a plan. And he's got a plan for your life and for my life and it's a good plan. And just like Ross said, it may involve going through some storms. But God's in control of the storms. And God's in control. He doesn't make mistakes. The second truth we learn from this passage is The servant king wants a servant church. Uh, Verse 2, we learn that this is this very special, important meal. Probably the equivalent to our Christmas dinner, you know, in terms of social importance for people of that day. Do you know, can you imagine sitting around at your Christmas dinner and suddenly your dad gets up, takes his posh clothes off, puts on a, an apron, gets a bowl, and he starts washing your feet. That's kind of the shocking moment of this, this event. Jesus lays aside his outer garments. He, he ties a towel around his waist. He becomes a servant. He dresses like a servant. He looks like a servant. And he acts like a servant because he takes a bowl of water and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. Verse 5. Philippians chapter 2 puts it like this. Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even on a cross. You see that, Jesus? Taking on the form of a servant. It's incredible, isn't it? Don't you think? Do you see it? And Jesus is teaching his disciples a lesson. Look at what it says in verse 15 to 17. He says, I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Jesus is saying, I've gone down low. You're below me. You need to go lower. Do you get that? He said, look, if I'm the master here, and I go down to there, you need to go even lower. It's not the world's way, is it? This, this year on um, Beach Missions at Benthlec, and uh, uh, it's great, isn't it, being on a team, it's lovely fellowship, it, it's wonderful. Do you know there are two me- team members, they're not here this weekend, um, but you know, every time we came back from the beach, you know the first thing they did? They went into the kitchen. And they started making drinks for people. And you know, within a few days, they knew exactly what pe- how people like their drinks. And they just come and bring you one. Jason, here's a decaf tea, no sugar. You know, just you know, is that right? You know, and and they did it for the whole team every single time. They were servants. 
incredible. And Jesus wants his followers to be servants, just like him. And uh, so, some applications. The first one is this. Being a servant is counter-cultural. This world says you've made it when you have servants. You might say, well, we don't have servants and slaves today. Well, I think we do. Um, you know, we, you could maybe have gardeners and cleaners and cooks. Or what about eating out? Uh, now, I'm not saying it's wrong to eat out or go to a coffee shop, but someone's serving you, aren't they? What about having your car washed? Uh, as I was preparing this, I, I took my car to one of the, you know, the, the, the disused petrol station that's turned into, uh, you know, Polish workers. And while I'm there, I'm just, you know, I'm thinking, do you know what? I'm being served here. I could wash my car just as quick as it takes for me to drive around, let them wash it. But we like being served. And the world is geared to say, you know, when you can afford to do that, that you're, you're making it. Our culture says we want to be served. Jesus is saying, don't be served, become a servant. Uh, I think even in the church, I think there's an increase in paid workers in churches. Um, some churches seem to just have so many workers. There's a church I know, um, quite a few miles from us. I looked on their website. They get a congregation of about 450 people on a Sunday. They have 36 full-time workers in that church. And there's people who do the cleaning and make the coffee, and there's caterers, and there's youth workers, and there's uh, everything's done. You don't need to volunteer. In fact, they just say, come along and give and be served in our church. You're not going to feel guilty because you're not on the cleaning rotor. You know? And I'm not saying it's wrong to be working a church, but I'm saying it's a wrong culture if we're looking to be served in our churches rather than be servants to our brothers and sisters. And we've got to fight against that culture coming in. And after the Shamir Rouge um, wreaked havoc in Cambodia, many people fled the country and they fled to the, there were some refugee camps on the Thailand border. And these camps were terrible places and they were crammed. Uh, often there's a lot of ill health in them, dysentery and all kinds of this, uh, things like that. A group of 25 young people turned up at the worst camp. And uh, they were from an organisation called Youth with a Mission. And they went to the leaders of the camp and they said, would you give us the worst jobs in this camp? That was literally what they said. And they said, well, I'm not sure whether you want the worst jobs, but... It's, it's where people go for isolated in dysentery. They're so weak, they can't clean themselves. We'll take that on. And they went in, and with love and grace, they cleaned people with dysentery up. And they just took, went in as servants and took on the worst jobs. You know, many, many people came to know Jesus because they saw Christ through them. 
So, being a servant is countercultural. So, two questions, really. How much do you want to be served? How much do I want to be served? And how much of this world's culture of being served are we sort of taking on and imbibing into our lives? And the second question is, how much are we really willing to be countercultural and be servants? To really deliberately say, I, I'm willing to serve because that's the pattern that Jesus has given us to follow. Being a servant is costly. Uh, if you think about it, Jesus got up from this special meal. Serving often comes at inconvenient times. It's often costly. When I was six years old, uh, my mum and dad, who'd become Christians in Canada just a bit before I was born, and uh, we, we moved to a new church. I was six years old, and this church um, uh, has, for many years, been running camps up in Wales. And everyone from the church went, so they would have camps of over 200 people. And went for a fortnight up into Wales, you in bell tents. And the pastor there, um, a guy called Harry Sutton, he's gone to glory now. And uh, when my mum and dad got there, and on the first year we went on this church camp for our summer holidays, it, it wasn't, you know, you still had your summer holiday, this was it, you know. This is mo- all most people could afford in those days. And uh, we went on this camp. And Dad looked at the rotors and, and the jobs. And there was no one down for the latrines. Now, the latrines are a posh word for buckets in little huts. That were now, the latrines are a posh word for buckets in little huts. There were these buckets and they're kind of little tiny sheds and you went along and found one. You imagine a camp with 200 people. You know how many buckets there are and... Um, so my dad gets up to empty the buckets. He finds, guess who's emptying the buckets? The pastor of the church. He didn't want to ask anyone else to do that job. So our dear old pastor would get up. I, I, as I grew up as a teenager in that church, I found out that every winter our pastor would go and decorate a room for old people in their homes. Just every Wednesday, go around and, and chat and talk. And then we found out he had a day off a week. He rarely took it, you have to say. You know, if you got half a day, he was doing well. This was a pastor who worked 60, 70 hours a week. You know, he wasn't a 40-hour pastor. And then we found out that once a month on his day off, he used to drive around and deliver these newspapers that were sent from Africa um, for people who wanted to learn English and learn about the gospel. And he used to deliver them to all the markets. And I asked him, you know, and imagine the impact of this on a 15-year-old boy. I said, Pastor Sutton, why, why do you do that on your day off? Do you know what his reply was? He said, you know, he said, I'm paid to do the work in the church. He said, I wanted to give God something that was mine. Isn't that incredible? Can you imagine the impact, the, the impact of his example in that church? 
him serving in those kind of ways. And you know, I think Peter and the disciples, I think they got this. And why would we say that? Well, when you go to Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 6, you, what you find out is the new church is sold out, aren't they? They're, they have an incredible impact on the world. People are downsizing. They're selling things. It says no one in Jerusalem had any needs. Can you imagine shoplifting probably disappeared? Beggars on the streets disappeared. And, and the Christians are running soup kitchens. And there's a problem eventually, because eventually they find out that the ministry has grown so much, but Peter and the disciples, they're still serving in the soup kitchens every day. And they can't handle it. And the church has to get, we need to work this out and divide some of these tasks up. But I think they really got this lesson, didn't they? So how about you? How are you doing following Jesus in this area? Is costly. And then thirdly, it tells us that serving is blessed. Look at verse 17. It says, blessed are you if you do these things. Um, Someone said the best way, it's not an accurate way of describing blessed, is to say happy. And it's not a full enough way. Happy are you if you do these things. Jesus says, if you live like this, you're going to be blessed. You're going to be happy. You're going to live the way that God wants you to live. Think about it. The happiest people I know are those who are the most generous and serving. And you see that, don't you? And, and it, it's countercultural, it's costly, but God says, if you live this way, you're going to be blessed. The servant king wants a servant church. And then the third thing that we learn here is, real Christians fail and need their feet washing. You know, isn't it interesting? Jesus gets down from the, the meal table and he, he gets the towel and he gets the bowl and he starts washing the feet. And he's doing this as an illustration and he's teaching the disciples something. And then right in the middle of this, Peter, you know Peter? Peter says, you're not doing this to me. I kind of think, if that was me, I'd be saying, Peter, just shut up a minute. I'll explain. It's an illustration. I'll explain what we're doing later. Just go with the flow. But Jesus doesn't, does he? And maybe many of us are going to have a few apologies to Peter when we get to heaven because there's quite a lot more in the Bible because of Peter, isn't there? You know, This bit wouldn't be there if it wasn't for Peter, would it? And yet it's an incredible truth that, that God wants us to know. And Jesus explains that if Peter doesn't have his feet washed, then he can't be part of Jesus. So Peter says, well, wash all of me, Lord. Yeah, do everything. Yeah, I don't just want my feet washing. I want everything doing. And Jesus says, if you've already been bathed, you only need your feet washing. What's Jesus talking about? When you become a Christian, you're completely washed. You're completely clean. Does that mean you live a sinless life? 
Do you? <laughs> do you fail? Do you mess up? Do I? Yes, we do, don't we? And we get up, Jesus said, that's, you know, we've, we've been washed when we became a Christian, but we're not sinless yet, are we? We're not in heaven. And, and our feet get messed up. And they need washing. And we can come and get them clean again. And this truth wipes away all the false teachings of perfectionism and legalism in the church, doesn't it? Isn't it when you think about it? We mess up, we fail as Christians, and we need to come back and be cleansed. And when we fall and when we sin and when we backslide, it does not affect our eternal destiny. You know, if we've already come to Christ, then we might sin and, and... some of us sin in, in really big ways. I've been visiting a Christian friend for the last few years in prison. And, you know, he messed up in a really big way. God's using him in prison. People are being converted through it. But we mess up. And we can come back. You see... It doesn't affect our destiny, but it does affect our relationship. I think the best way of putting it is this. Supposing my son Sam uh, is not here. Supposing he was adopted. His sisters actually told him he was adopted when he was growing up. He got very upset. They, they went through a big explanation and they gave him all the evidence. and It upset him for quite a while. But he, he isn't adopted. But just imagine he was adopted. And he does something really bad. Maybe he behaves really badly to his mother. And uh, is he still my son? Yes. Is he still a duffin? Absolutely. Will I still protect him? Yes. But can we sit down on the sofa and enjoy playing a game together? No. Not till that's put right. You know, not till he's been to his mum, said, Mum, I'm really sorry. And then I, you know, we'd probably wrap our arms around one and say, well done, you know. And our relationship is restored. And Jesus is saying that once saved, always saved. Once his, always his. But when we mess up, and we will and we do, this is a tremendous truth, isn't it? Our feet get dirty. And we can come and have our relationship restored. King David Do you remember in Psalm 51, verse 12, King David said, Restore to me the joy of my salvation. David never lost his salvation. He just lost the joy of his salvation. And maybe there's some of us here, and we've lost the joy of our salvation. It's because our feet are dirty. There's sin that we need to come and bring to the cross and get washed. There's backsliding. There's messes up. And we just need to come and get that right. Just some applications here. No matter how bad your feet are, come and get them washed. I know Christians have been caught up in affairs. Or what about pornography? Probably there's a whole number of us here caught up in pornography. People involved in in fraud or gone to prison backslidden in all kinds of ways. And you know what? We can come. And they, many have come before you. And we can come and get right and have your joy restored.
And then secondly, I think, praise God for continuing grace. Isn't God good? Isn't he? Yeah, he is. And, and you see, I think often, if you're anything like me, we often understand grace really clearly before conversion and grace at conversion. I'm not sure we're so good at understanding grace after conversion. You know, we kind of feel we've somehow got to keep it up. And we can't. We somehow think we've got to be good enough for God. We never will be. Just the same way as we weren't before conversion. We just need to come regularly. So backslidden Christian, come and get your feet washed. You know, failed believer, come and get your feet washed. Messed up believer, come and get clean. We all need this don't we? So, as we look at these three truths, we trust and rest in the truth that God is in control. He doesn't make mistakes, does he? And he hasn't made a mistake with you. And he's got a great plan for your life. And we go low. We follow Jesus. He went low. That's how this world is going to be changed. Jesus said, by this shall all men know you're my disciples. If you have love, or if you serve one another, And then we bathe in God's amazing, continuing grace. We need to be Christ-following, joyful-serving Christians, don't we? That's how the world's going to be changed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are amazed. These truths are just incredible. And Lord, we want to to take them in. We want to own them in our hearts. And we want to know them. Lord, we just want to thank you that you are in control, that you don't make mistakes, that that every detail, even the storms. Oh, Father, we thank you for Jesus who went so low. And Lord, sometimes we want to go so high. Please forgive us. Help us to follow Jesus. Help us to know the blessing of being servants. And then, Lord, we want to bathe in your amazing, continuing grace. Oh, thank you that our feet can be washed time and time again. And, and Lord, just help us to, to come to the cross on a, at least a daily basis and just get our feet clean. Oh, Lord, we just thank you for your great love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.